You're listening to episode 64 of the Journey to Launch podcast, your guide to becoming a minimalist and simplifying your life so you can reach your financial goals. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. Welcome back to another episode of the Journey to Launch podcast. In this week's episode, I'm talking to Joshua Becker. Joshua is the founder and editor of becomingminimalist.com. It's a website dedicated to intentional living, and it was named as one of the top 10 personal development sites on the internet by Success Magazine. He's been featured in numerous areas, and I'm really excited to talk to him because he has a thoughtful and intentional approach to minimalism. He's one of the leading voices in the space, and he really urges everyone to just think more about how they live, how they acquire, how they spend. And I think it's going to be a perfect tool for your toolkit on the journey to financial independence, because if we can understand how we spend, how that directly relates to the things we have in our life, what we accumulate, we can really change how we have a relationship with things. And so you don't have to go all the way to the other side of becoming a minimalist and thinking you need nothing or you can't have nice things. This is not what this episode is about. And you'll hear that really soon. And with Joshua, we're going to go through really what started him on his journey to become a minimalist, become more conscious about how he consumed. And he had that moment clearing out his garage where he figured that out. And we're going to talk about so much more. I really hope you'll enjoy this episode. This is episode 64, by the way. So if there is something you hear you want to check up on, you can go to the episode show notes at journeytolaunch.com slash episode 64. And actually, if you're listening to this in real time, it's going to be pretty exciting. I'm going to be at FinCon. So this episode gets released on the 26th of September, Wednesday. I'm actually traveling to FinCon that day. So today and then going to be there for the rest of the week where Joshua will also be. So maybe I'll get a picture. Follow me at Journey to Launch on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to get some real-time updates on what's going on. And FinCon, if you remember, is that personal finance conference where you'll have your content creators around personal finance going. So just follow me. You might see me with your other favorite personal finance influencers and coaches and people you've heard on this podcast. So it's going to be really exciting. Don't forget to tell a friend to tell a friend if you're enjoying the podcast. This is how we grow the podcast. Also, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening to this. And stick around for the end. Have some little updates for you and just more references to what Joshua talks about in the episode. All right, journeyers, let's begin. Hey, journeyers. I'm super excited to have on today's guest, Joshua Becker. Hi, Joshua. Oh, hello. How are you? Great. And I'm excited to talk to you today because we're going to be talking about a subject that I think lends very well to this journey to financial independence and being more conscious with how we consume. 
And that's becoming a minimalist, becoming more conscious with our spending habits. And you're from the blog and site becomingaminimalist.com. So welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Becomingminimalist.com, a blog I started a little over 10 years ago and continue to feel very passionate about the subject and certainly think it ties in very well with what you're doing here on the podcast. So it's your podcast and thanks for having me on. Great. And I want to start out this story of yours. So you had an epiphany moment yourself. You weren't always this conscious about how you consumed and spent money. And you had an epiphany while cleaning out your garage. And I want you to describe that moment for us. Sure. I would say just a quick background into who I was and what my life was like. I always say I've always lived most of my life pretty squarely in the middle class I was never missing any meals growing up, but I was never eating at the fanciest restaurants either. And so I think like most Americans right in the middle, trying to balance money and time and energy and trying to do my best in that area. The light bulb moment of when things really clicked for me was, like I mentioned, 10 years ago, I was living in Vermont. It was a Saturday morning. We were doing our regular spring cleaning. My son was five years old. I thought for sure he and I would enjoy the day cleaning out the garage because what five-year-old doesn't like cleaning out the garage, right? (laughs) It'd been this long winter in Vermont. And I told my son, Salem, I said, hey, let's just pull everything out into the driveway. We'll hose everything down. We'll return everything in this nice, organized fashion. He lasted about 20 seconds in the garage until he saw all of his summer toys. And so he left me alone and he went in the backyard to play catch by himself, asking me to come throw and pitch. And I just kind of kept pushing him off. You know, as soon as I'm done with the project, I'll come back out and play. Well, I'm working on the garage, pulling everything out. One thing leads to another, and hours later, I'm still cleaning out this same garage. My neighbor, her name is June. She's 80 years old, and she's outside doing all of her yard work at the same time that I'm working in the garage. And she's trimming the hedges and raking leaves and doing everything that you need to do. And at one point, we happen to walk past each other, kind of along the hedge line there. And she... I think noticed the frustration on my shoulders about how long my project had taken. And so she made a very sarcastic comment. She said, oh, the joys of home ownership, huh? And I said, well, you know what they say, the more stuff you own, the more your stuff owns you, which I don't know, I think I'd read on a cat poster somewhere or something and never really quite understood what it meant. But Anyway, she responds with this absolutely life-changing sentence. She says to me, yeah, you know, that's why my daughter is a minimalist. She keeps telling me I don't need to own all this stuff. I remember looking at this pile of dirty, dusty things stacked up in my driveway, things that I knew possessions weren't making me happy, and we would all say our things aren't making us happy. But as I'm looking at this pile of things in my driveway, I, out of the corner of my eye, see my five-year-old son swinging alone on the swing set in the backyard where he had been all morning long. And suddenly had this further realization that not only were my things not making me happy, but all of my things 
were actually distracting me. They were actually taking me away from the very thing that did bring me happiness in life. And not just happiness, but fulfillment and purpose and joy. And it was really this light bulb moment. I think it's really the very foundation of minimalism, this whole idea that our possessions aren't bringing joy into our life, but even worse, the more possessions we have, the more we are actually taken away from the things in life that we do wish that we were pursuing more. And so that was the moment that started our process. We were family four at the time, and yeah, 10 years ago, and my life has never been the same since. Wow, what a story. And I feel like I've had moments like that myself, looking at all my stuff, getting overwhelmed and I have kids also and realizing how much sometimes the cleaning, the clearing up of it, trying to organize it, but not really organizing it does take away from spending time with them and doing more things I love. But what caught me about your story is that did you know what minimalism was before your neighbor said something to you about it? No, no, not at all. In fact, I remember running into the computer because that's what we do and just typing in what is minimalism. And up popped minimalist art and minimalist music and minimalist architecture, where everyone's trying to accomplish something using the least amount of resources to do it. And I'm like, no, that's not really what I'm looking for. And just kind of changing the search. And I said, what is a minimalist lifestyle? And when I phrased it that way and became a little more clear about what I was looking for, I was introduced to these, a world of people all around the globe who have decided they're only going to own the things they need to own and they're going to get rid of everything else. And it's really a shame that it would be such a novel concept that we would own just the stuff that we need to own. Why is that a countercultural lifestyle? It seems like it would be natural that, of course, yeah, I just own the stuff that I need. Why would I hoard? Why would I hold on to a lot of things? Why would I buy? Why would I pursue a lot of things I don't actually need in life? Mm, And that seems to be the norm. And what I find even more fascinating is that there was this world, without you knowing of it, this minimalist lifestyle happening. You hear about it from your neighbor. It's mentioned. You kind of realize like, wait, what is that? Definitely seems like something I need to learn more about. Then you realize this is happening. Maybe not directly someone you know, but it's happening. It's out there. And it's so similar to how I find financial independent retirement early movement and how I found it. It was because you hear like one maybe sentence or phrase. You're ready to accept that phrase or sentence. And you say, let me find out more. You do some research and you realize it's been there all along. It's almost like that train's been chugging along. You have new goggles on to let you be able to see it and get on it. And I find that sometimes you're like, oh my gosh, I know I felt this way. Why didn't I find out about this before? Because you could have changed maybe some habits and some lifestyles and reached some of your goals or whatever that was earlier if you started earlier. So I think always that's fascinating that people, even people listening to this, this might be their first time hearing about certain s- topics or, or phrases and and now they go look at into it some more and they're like oh my gosh didn't even know that existed yeah i was in my mid 30s when this happened and i can look back on my life and see these different i always say just streams of discontent that i could never quite shake like i was always a little discontented with where i was financially seemed like i should be able to save more and get more ahead I was a little discontented with 
my time and my energy and I wish I could be doing more of these other things. And I think, unfortunately for me, like it just took a little bit of sitting in that and experiencing that to get to the moment when I was introduced to this other lifestyle. And I think that is exactly what I'm looking for. Or a lot of times it's a negative connotation when people hear the word minimalism and they think that we're talking about bare walls and (laughs) tiny homes and no joy in life. So sometimes there's these negative preconceptions or misconceptions that came from wherever they might come from. And you have to see the other side of it and you have to hear the message from a different angle or sometimes even a different voice where you're like, oh, now I think I understand the draw and can see that we're not talking about a sacrificial life, but we're talking about a more purposeful, intentional life, which is what I've been wanting all along anyway. Mm-hmm. It's almost like that statement of when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Uh-huh. You probably did see some things like that occurring in your life, but you weren't maybe ready. And I always find that it does take a breaking point, that moment where you can no longer ignore it or put it to the side or say, I'll look into it later. It comes to a head and you're like, okay, let's figure this out. And so for you, that was that day cleaning out your garage. So what were your next steps in ratcheting down your life, making things more simple? Well, my next step was convincing my wife, which actually was far easier than it is for a lot of people. I was outside on that Saturday hours into the early afternoon cleaning out the garage, and she was cleaning the inside of the house with my two-year-old daughter somewhere scurrying around. So interestingly, I think my first thing I said to my wife was, you'll never guess what June said. She said, we can get rid of all this stuff. (laughs) And And she was like, you know what, after a day spent cleaning, that sounds pretty good right about now. So there was that conversation. It certainly wasn't something that I was going to impose upon my wife without having some buy-in. We just began working through our home room by room. This was a process that took us about nine or 10 months and even A few years later, we ended up moving to a new city and moved into a smaller house as a part of that move and got rid of even some more things after that. So this was by no means a rent a dumpster and get rid of everything in a weekend. It took time and thought and intentionality. As I was kind of wrestling through the different things, I discovered that The best approach to minimalism is very much a thoughtful, rational one, that the goal isn't to own nothing, but the goal of minimalism really is to discover, okay, what is it that I want to accomplish with my life? What do I want my life to look like? And then what things do I need to own to get there? And then what are all the things that I can get rid of so that I can get to that purpose and get to that life that I wish I was living instead quicker? In terms of very practical, I think the first thing I minimized was the things in my car. I was clean out the garage and put everything back in as quickly as I could and pulled the car back in into the garage and looking around and there's coins and CDs and sunglasses and Happy Meal toys and maps and books and rubber balls and receipts and all these things that didn't need to be in my car. And I just grabbed a plastic bag and pulled everything out of my car that didn't need to be there. Man, I remember the next morning sitting down to go to work and just enjoying the space. It was like 
calmer and peaceful. And I'm like, yes, I want this feeling elsewhere. And so we did the living room next and then the bedroom and the closets and the bathrooms and always kind of moving easiest room to the hardest room, trying to complete rooms along the way, noticing the benefits, noticing what was happening in our lives, and then using that motivation to go forward. So many people, when you talk about minimalism, their mind seems to rush to the hardest thing in their life that they could ever get rid of. Mm -hmm. Oh, that sounds great, but I can never get rid of my books or my camping gear or my yarn stash or whatever it might be. And I always say, you don't start there. Like, let's start in easy places, get rid of the low hanging fruit. And as you see the benefits of it, you'll kind of build momentum and build up that muscle a little bit that you can get to those other spaces and those other areas later. I'm so glad you brought that up. Because as you were talking, I was thinking about my life and how I need to get rid of a lot of things. And Sometimes that first reaction I get is, oh my gosh, how could I get rid of it? And it's not even for like major things that I know for sure would be harder to get rid of. It's like little things that I'm just wondering, what if I do need this? What if I need this thing I've never used in a year? What if I do need this in five years? You know, it's always that kind of reaction I have. And I'm like, okay, so I won't throw that away. I'll keep that to the side. And it definitely prevents me from moving forward and getting rid of a lot of things. So did you have those thoughts or if someone has that? initial reaction, even to the not so important things, how do they get past that? Yeah, a number of different thoughts. Maya Angelou once said, we need so much less than we think we need, which is very true. Dave Bruno wrote a book called The 100 Thing Challenge, where he tried to get his possessions down to just 100 things. And his subtitle, The 100 Thing Challenge, the subtitle of the book is Reduce, Reuse, Rejigger which I thought was pretty interesting until I started reading it. And his whole point about using that word rejigger was he was like, I discovered that I'm far more creative in solving problems than I thought. That I thought I needed all of these different things and all these different tools and all these different possessions just in case a need for them arose. But then he said, I got rid of them. And something would come up where I was like, oh, I really wish I had that one specific tool that was designed for this one problem. And he said, but in reality, I could solve the problem with the things that I kept. I just had to be a little more creative and a little more thoughtful in in how I went about it. So there's that reality. There's just the other reality that in the world that we live in, if it's not a really expensive item, most things you can get back within a day or an hour if you live in certain places close to an Amazon warehouse. If you really desperately need something, we can get it now. Things are very much more accessible than they ever were before. But the reality is most of those just-in-case items never actually materialize. Yeah, I love framing it around being creative, using that as an opportunity to be a better problem solver. Love that. And So let's talk about this line that you have on your site where you talk about what owning less leads to. So you said that as a result, we discovered more money, more time, more energy, more freedom, less stress, and more opportunities to pursue our greatest passions, faith, family, and friends. I love that. So can we just dissect that and talk a little bit how owning less stuff essentially leads to all that? Yeah, I mean, just think about it. When I speak on the topic, whenever possible, I'll always ask the room full of people. I'll say, hey, just kind of bunch up wherever you are in your rows or around your tables and 
answer this question. If you were to own less stuff, how would your life begin to improve? And it's fascinating because I have never had a quiet room after asking that question. It doesn't take any time at all for people to start listing, oh, you know what? This would look different in my life. This would be better in my life. This would be better in my life. And usually they end with like a list of eight or 10 different, very specific ways that life improves by owning less, more money, right? I mean, if we're owning less, number one, we're maintaining less. So it costs less to maintain what we have, but ideally we're purchasing less. And so we have more money, which means we're able to get out of debt. We're able to save, able to change jobs or retire, whatever it might be. You think about time. If I have less stuff, then there's less cleaning that I need to do. And not just the cleaning, but all the organizing and managing and maintaining and repairing and replacing and recycling or how much time we spend working just to earn the money so we can go spend time shopping to buy the thing that we're going to bring home to clean and organize and manage and maintain for the rest of our lives. Randy Alcorn, he says, every increased possession adds increased anxiety onto our lives, which is so very true. The less stuff we have, the less stress we feel, the less worry that we have in our life. I became a better example for my kids. Just fewer physical possessions means fewer visual distractions in my life. And all of this, I just found freeing up my life in very practical ways. And people are going to do differently with that freedom, whatever they want to do, right? I think that that's really the genius of minimalism is that it frees us up to pursue our passions and pursue our values. And those are always going to look different from one person to another, but minimalism frees up each person to go pursue those, whatever they may be. And then I guess I listed mine on there, faith and family and friends have always been kind of the key things in my life. Mm, Right. And then we also talk about the concept of it's different to organize versus the own. There are a couple of phrases that may be used interchangeably by some people, but they actually are different. They can mean something different. So decluttering, organizing, the owning, simplifying. Now, some of those things mean different things, right? Yeah, I think so. Of course, I spend my life thinking about and, and writing about this stuff. So to me, the, the terms, I think, are a lot of overlap, but I think probably in reality, they mean different things. I think to simplify would mean to focus in on a few things, to get rid of some of the distractions. And whether you're talking about simplifying your life or simplifying your schedule or simplifying your business, let's just key in on the few things that are most important to me and get rid of the things that become a distraction. Certainly, organizing kind of has this idea of I'm keeping what I have. I'm just trying to find the best way to store it all. Of course, the problem with organizing is that that organizing is always only temporal, is the way I say it. Courtney Carver was the first one to say it this way. Don't you think if organizing worked, you would be done by now? (laughs) But it's never done, right? It always just, oh, I have to organize one day and then I have to organize the very next day. As opposed to this idea of decluttering, um, getting rid of some things or minimizing where I'm like, no, I'm not going to just 
look for better storage solutions for the things that I have, but I am going to remove them from my life and take this act of permanence. I can finally stop having to organize these every single day. And if you have to buy stuff to store your stuff, you probably have more than you need would be my guess. Mm, Or pay for storage to hold your things unless you live in a very small place, right? It's unbelievable that I mean, the average American home has tripled in size in the last 50 years and still 10% of Americans rent offsite storage. I don't think people really realize the uniqueness of the lives that we're living. Never in human history have people owned as much stuff as we own today. I mean, never before have people owned as much junk as we own. And I'm just convinced, it certainly was true in my life, that most people don't realize the burden that their possessions have become, the financial burden, the emotional and the energy burden that our possessions have become until you begin to remove them and until you begin to see how free life can be when you're not carrying around a bunch of stuff that you don't need anyway. Mm-hmm. And there's so many points like to go into for what you said, but one of them was, I think it's really important, this idea of organizing versus de-owning. Because again, some people will say, okay, I organized that. I moved it from site to somewhere else where I can't see it. <laughs> and it's like, no, but it's there still. You didn't really get rid of the problem or you didn't face the emotional turmoil or issues that cause you to maybe own too much or be in the situation you're in. And I think, like you said, some of that comes to a head when you're moving. Moving, I think for most people is the most horrific experience because it forces you to look at everything you put away and hid, you tried to forget about, and now you have to like bring it all back up and put it into boxes and then decide if you're taking it with you, if you're putting it to storage. So I think that's a very interesting and powerful concept for people to get that Just because you're moving it out the way and out of sight doesn't mean necessarily out of mind. I mean, maybe for a quick moment, but ultimately it's not gone. It it still lingers. It still causes some sort of cost for having it. I think you nailed it. Everything we have takes up physical space in our own little world, but everything we have also takes up a little bit of mental space. And maybe it's not mental space every single day, but Every time we walk into the basement or every time we park the car in the garage or we get the storage shed bill, we're just reminded of all that stuff. And it does. It takes up mental space. You know, when you talk about minimizing as opposed to organizing, there are other benefits to it as well. Not just the fact that it's a permanent solution as opposed to temporary and frees up that mental space, but it's an act of generosity. It can be an act of blessing that you would take some of your excess and that you would give it to someone or find a space, find a place, find a charity, find an organization where there are legitimately people in your community who need the very things that you have stored in boxes in the basement or clothes hanging in your closet that you haven't worn in nine months. Like there are people in your community who genuinely need those things. I'm just convinced that most people want to be generous. Like if you asked a room full of people, how many of you want to be a generous person that every hand goes up? That's something we all want to be true of us. People can't seem to find the 
margin or the capacity to do more of that with their life. Meanwhile, we've got drawers that don't close and closets that are overflowing and garages that we can't park in. And I think generosity brings a reward of its own that when we're simply reorganizing our things, we never get to experience. Also, I would say that organizing never forces difficult questions on us as opposed to minimizing or de-owning, like deciding what I'm going to get rid of and what I'm going to keep. Like this is very much an internal journey, I think, of, okay, what do I want my life to be about? What do I need to keep in order to accomplish more of that? And what is distracting me from it? And what was I thinking when I bought this? Or why was I holding on to these things? Those are valuable questions that uh, de-owning, as opposed to simply organizing things around, begins to spur up in our hearts. Mm, And speaking of heart, I think, though, the concept of making yourself a generous person or stepping into that, like you said, most people want to be that, maybe a good motivating factor for someone who's putting this off like myself. (laughs) Because you think about that you want to be a better person, you want to give more, and you might say, well, I don't have the money to give more or to donate as much as I can. But if you look at your possessions of things you definitely don't even need or you have too much of as a way to be generous to other people, it's almost like because now this responsibility is more than just to yourself, it's to like the world outside of you it could be a good motivating factor for people to really start on this path to letting go of things and donating, giving away. I think that might help some people to hear that. So that's a really good point. I agree. You got a lot of financially independent thinkers and people who are focused on certainly that type of thing. I tell people all the time, if you don't need the money, just donate your stuff. Some people want to squeeze every extra penny that they can out of their things when they're getting rid of them. And I'm like, yeah, I would like to get rid of them. I was looking for a place to sell them all. I'm like, if you don't desperately need the money, I think that if you find a local charity whose mission you believe in and give your things there, I think that you'll find probably more of a benefit to that and more of a motivating factor even. My daughter was two, my son was five. We were done having children when we started our process. And we just had the crib and the high chair and the baby clothes and all those things that we had when our children were babies, but we weren't going to need any more. And I called the Crisis Pregnancy Center in downtown Burlington, Vermont. I'm like, hey, we've got all this little kid stuff. Is this something you guys take? And she's like, yes, mm-hmm. we're in desperate need. Like there are single mothers and there's families in poverty and there are tons of people in our community and we're always looking for these types of items. And I'm like, oh, I guess I never even thought of it in that way. Like we just packed up boxes and boxes of stuff and took it and we found A lot of our homewares went to the Vermont Refugee Resettlement Program, where they're helping families get set up in apartments after showing up with nothing. And once you kind of see the good that you can do in the world and the people that you can help, it became very motivating to us. Far more, I think, than a $12 sale on eBay would have been anyway. Right, right. And speaking of kids, I have three kids myself. The things that can accumulate when you have kids and whether that's you buying stuff. Luckily for us, we don't buy too many things, but we get things from people, just things we don't need. And then toys always become just constant in the house where we're just like, all right, and then you can't find pieces. So how can someone with kids who may be thinking, okay, one, just the way this world works now with 
this kind of external pressure to buy things for your kids, whether that's clothes, toys, or the more and more, how can you fight that? And then how can you inside the home now learn to just throw things away or learn to grow your kids in a more simplistic lifestyle? Sure. Lots of different issues there. The first advice I give to parents, which I think is the most important, is number one, if you're kind of struck by this idea and you're drawn to it and you can see the benefits of minimalism, it is entirely unfair for you to go home and start with all of your kids' stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I speak to a lot of moms groups and it's very often they're like, how do I get rid of my kids' toys? And I'm like, you can get rid of your kids' toys, but you can't start there. Like, you've got to do your own work first. You've got to go through your own closet and go through your own kitchen and go through your own stuff. Oh, that's the tough one. (laughs) It's always easier to see everyone else's clutter than it is to see our own. But your kids need to see you do that. Your kids need to see you set that example and start there. I think as you begin with your own stuff... I think you notice some of the feelings and emotions that pop up and some of the solutions. So that's my first thought on kids stuff. I'm a big fan of boundaries when it comes to kids, physical boundaries. So my daughter is 12, so she's starting to outgrow toys. But for most of our journeys, she's had all of her toys. And we've said, hey, look, you can have as many toys as you want that fit in your closet. And so she can see the physical boundaries. And so it's up to you. You can keep whichever toys you want. But once it outgrows the closet, then we have to make decisions about what to keep and what to get rid of. And so she can see, right, if I keep this toy, it means I have to get rid of that one. Or I can keep this whole set or replace that. And it forces her or it empowers her, I think, to make those decisions. And it works for her. Like the artwork that she keeps has to fit in the plastic bin under her bed. The things that she's collecting has to fit in her bottom drawer. The clothes have to fit in the one side of the closet or the drawers that she has. And so I think that physical boundaries are very helpful for kids. In terms of knowing what to bring in, I should warn people, this can be more difficult to begin the older your kids are. I think the younger your kids are, the easier it is to introduce these ideas of minimalism and owning less. If your son is 17 and you've been living one way for 17 years and now you're like, no, we've become minimalist, it's going to be a tough transition for him or her. So that can be a little bit more difficult. In general, I think boundaries are helpful for kids. I think it's good for kids to hear no. I think it's good for kids to hear we're not buying that because we're using our money over here. We're not buying that because we don't have the space for that at home. I actually think it's one of the most important life skills that we can teach our children, that life is made up of limited money and limited space and limited time. And the most important skill we have in life is knowing okay, what am I going to put into the one life that I have? And so I think it's an important skill for them to learn anyway. Mm, Those are all really good tips. And I love forcing yourself to do the hard work first, lead by example. And then with your kids, the earlier, the better that you start. But those are really, really good tips. And your whole blog is amazing. But one of the posts that I actually really, really like and, and I thought was actionable for anyone to start simplifying and looking at their time to get rid of that overwhelm is something called 10 most important things to simplify in your life. 
Now you had a list of 10 things, but I wanted to just touch upon quickly a few that I thought were really good. And one was your goals. So you believe that simplifying and having less goals would be better than having more goals. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it was Warren Buffett who said, the difference between successful people and highly successful people is that highly successful people learn to say no to almost everything. And when we think about what are the things that I most want to accomplish with my life, it's not a list of 15 or 20 different things. There are some overriding things that are most important to us. And it's when we get scattered in our pursuits that those three or four things that we're really most passionate about tend to get pushed to the back burner, unfortunately. They tend to be the most important things in life, not necessarily the most urgent things. I don't know. I mean, you can see it in business. You can see it in family. You can see it in your finances. When you're not clear about the one or two things that you're trying to do is when usually those one or two things, unfortunately, get pushed aside. Mm, I totally agree. And it's almost like the feeling of multitasking. You had that on your list, too, is where you're focusing on too many things. You're not able to do one or the few things that do really matter well. Yeah. And I should say, I mean, this is a podcast with a lot of different, very driven and motivated listeners. When I talk about minimalism, I don't talk about checking out of life. This isn't about a life of laziness, about a life of getting out of work and doing nothing. It's a life about working harder on the things that mean the most and still being driven, but being driven towards things that matter. In my book, The More of Less, I probably shouldn't tell the story, but I will. One of my biggest arguments with the publisher was they wanted to use a, I guess someone have to look up the book, The More of Less to see the cover that we use. But like very early on, they wanted a picture of plastic chairs on a beach. Because when people think about minimalism, that's what they think about, right? Living on the beach for the rest of your life. And I'm like, no, I don't talk about that. Like I talk about living a more passionate life, a more driven life. It's just driven towards things that matter as opposed to checking out of life entirely. And I'm going to link the book so everyone can see the cover and see what you're talking about in the show notes. But what you're saying totally reminds me of the whole FIRE movement, because when people hear the concept of becoming financially independent, retiring early... The ones that rejected initially may think, well, is this about being on a beach all day and not doing anything like retire early? Who wants to do that? When in fact, my goal for most of the people I hear on this journey who even reached it, they're working or they're bringing in more money and more quality money than they would if not for the journey. So it's not necessarily about doing nothing. It's like you said, it's about being intentional. You actually become a hard worker and it's work, but it's fueled by passion. It's fueled because it's more purpose-driven than just working because you have to live and pay bills. So I see a lot of similarities there between kind of what you're saying with this minimalist movement and what you're doing and the whole financially independent retire early movement. Yeah. You know, what minimalism does is it frees people up to pursue happiness outside of physical possessions. Because the reality is, the world tells us 
the lie over and over again, thousands of times a day, right? That we'd be happier if we buy this product. So if we had more, we would be happier than we are now. And it's all a lie. It's not true. But when you remove that pursuit and when you say, okay, I'm going to intentionally own less because I realize the possessions don't make me happy and the possessions are actually distracting me from the things that do make me happy. I've freed up time and money and resources and energy and freedom to pursue whatever it is I want that I think will make me happy. For some people, it's traveling, or for some people, it's building up a savings account, for some people, it's getting involved in charity or whatever it might be, right? Like we just get to define it in a new way. And maybe we pursue happiness down that second road and maybe we find it or maybe we don't. And so then we choose a third road, Mm -hmm. but it frees us up. I think of that in the fire movement, retire early. What does that mean for some people? Like for some people, maybe it means that they remove themselves from work. They're financially independent, so they can remove themselves from work entirely. But for others, maybe it means, okay, I can quit doing this white collar corporate job that I don't find any meaning in. I finally have the money saved up that I can go do this nonprofit work. I can pursue meaning in this work instead of what I was doing before. I think it just makes that goal closer, right? We're spending less and we're taking care of less. And so we're reaching that financial tipping point sooner. Right. You're acquiring what you need, what thoughtfully makes you happy or whole. And then not relying necessarily on those things to do that, to make you happy or whole. So one of the things that I'm so glad you are demystifying this idea of having less is that just because you have less doesn't mean it's like a bare bones lifestyle and it's an unhappy lifestyle. And so it's really just quality over quantity. So just because you are living a minimalist lifestyle doesn't mean you have to not like nice things or you can't buy luxury items. So for some people who are like, well, you know, there are certain things I enjoy and I like having a certain quality of stuff. Can you just talk about that? There is a different, like those things are not mutually exclusive. You can have nice things and have luxury things if you want, but you don't need to have too many of them. Yeah, that is a great point. Frugality and minimalism are not the same thing. Some people are minimalist because they are frugal, but it isn't always the other way around. It was actually one of the benefits of minimalism that surprised me. I guess I didn't think about it at the very beginning, but I was cleaning out one of my drawers and there were like four sets of headphones in there that had broken or didn't fit right or didn't sound quite right. And I'm like, you know, if I just bought one really nice set of headphones as opposed to buying four or five cheap sets, I would have solved this whole problem a long time ago. It's true. You think about clothes, right? If you're going to spend the same amount of money on clothes that you do now, you can either go buy like 10 pairs of $20 jeans off of the clearance rack, or you could go buy two really nice pair of jeans that you really like and really love and fit you well. And as you lower your quantity, you're able to up your quality. Mm, Right, right. I love that. And this is for people who, again, are just like, oh my gosh, are we talking about 
not having a nice life or the things you want. Like, no, it's just about thoughtfully consuming, thoughtfully having the things that matter. So Joshua, this conversation has been amazing. I really do believe that listeners, my journeyers will get a lot of information from this and I know they're going to want to check out your stuff. So where can they find you? Yeah, everything runs through my website, becomingminimalist.com. I have books. The More of Less came out a couple of years ago. I have a new book coming out this December called The Minimalist Home. You can find links to that. You can certainly find social media. We have over uh, 1.2 million followers on Facebook, but you can find links to the social media channels from Becoming Minimalist. I have a magazine that we started last year called Simplify Magazine and a new one that's coming out this fall called Simple Money Magazine, both digital magazines. So I started a nonprofit a couple years ago. So a lot of different things that I'm involved in and enjoy doing because I find value in them. And I think that they're helpful to other people. But yeah, it all runs through becomingminimalist.com. So I'd send people there. Right. And I will link that in the show notes. I'll link the magazine also in the show notes so people can click and find out more about you. Thank you so much, Joshua, for this. This was a great talk. You are welcome. Thank you for all the hard work you're doing for people too. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Joshua. As you can see, I myself need to start thinking more about how I consume and how I hold things in my personal space in my life. And it's funny because I started cleaning out my closet and I felt so good about it because my closet has been a complete mess for a while now. And just one morning I just woke up and I just started putting things in bags and going through the clothes that I don't wear. And it looks so much better. Now, I'm not completely 100% there yet. Like everything is not organized, but it looks better. And I feel so much better. I feel so much lighter by doing that. And even though the closet is closed, I don't see it half the time. Just me knowing that it's just clearer in there actually makes me feel really good. So it's interesting how that works where sometimes you make these changes and it's not something maybe you can directly quantify or measure, but it does impact your mental happiness and how you go about things and productivity because I already do feel lighter now that my closet is a bit more organized. I have a lot of ways to go, but you know what? All it takes is just starting. It's just like I tell you, you're on this journey, you're making small changes, every bit counts. And so me, you know, collecting one bag of items is a big, big, big accomplishment. And I feel good about that. And yeah, do I have a lot more to do? Sure. Just like you, maybe you are in the works of paying off the debt or understanding a concept. And you might think that's so small in the grand scheme of what you have to do, where it is small, right? But it doesn't mean it's not important or impactful. And I'm telling you, it means so much to you when you start making these small changes, because it gives you the confidence to keep on going. So again, if you want the episode show notes for this, you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 64. Joshua also talks about his magazine that is going to be a new magazine coming out. It's called the Simple Money Magazine. And I was lucky enough to write for his other magazine, Simplify magazine and I wrote for it in the fall. So beginning of this month, I had an article come out in it and it's such a good magazine. And so now he's doing a magazine strictly on money. And so if you want to check out his magazine, it's a quarterly publication. You can go to journeytolaunch.com slash simple money to check it out, get a subscription. 
and I hope you enjoy it. Again, don't forget to follow me on Journey to Launch on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm going to be at FinCon this week if you're listening to this in real time. And so if you want to see some pictures of what's going on, me interacting with some of your favorite guests, because a lot of them are going to the conference or even Joshua. Joshua will be at the conference. Maybe I'll get a picture with him. Check it out to see what's going on. If you want to tell your friends about how to listen to this podcast, just tell them to go to journeytolaunch.com slash podcast. You can also, if you're listening to this in your Apple podcast app, so that's that purple podcast app, you can subscribe and rate the podcast there. I read every single reviews. All the reviews mean a lot. And I'm just so, so thankful that each and every week you guys are tuning in and then taking the time out to leave feedback. It's really important. It keeps me going. So keep on doing that. Remember, you can submit questions for me to answer on the podcast at journeytolaunch.com slash askjamila. And if you want to join the Facebook community so we can discuss a lot more stuff, go to journeytolaunch.com slash community. All right. I hope you got all those links in general. I'm just happy to have you on this journey with me. I look forward to talking with you next week. Coming up, we have some exciting episodes. I'm actually going to be diving deeper into some of these concepts about thoughtful spending and living and minimalism. So stay tuned. <laughs>